podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon and we're back for Series 2. Well, I call it Series 2, that implies that uh, someone has commissioned it, whereas in fact I've just decided to start doing it again after several months away. But anyway, if you're tuning in for the first time, there are over 30 podcasts available to listen to on iTunes or SoundCloud, featuring interviews with the likes of Mark Selby, Mark Williams, Michael Holt, Graham Dot, Dominic Dale, Alan McManus, Neil Folds and many more. And the plan is to continue with the weekly podcast right the way through to the end of the season, talking to movers and indeed shakers from the snooker world. The podcast drops every Tuesday, so subscribe now to whatever podcasting site you use. Also, if you have any questions or suggestions for subjects, tweet me at Dave Hendon. For this first podcast of what I'm still calling Series 2, I had a chat with the snooker scene editor, Clive Everton, about a quiet summer for the sport... Ding Junhui's recent capture of the Shanghai Masters and the busy campaign to come. So settle back and enjoy this new edition of the Snooker Scene Podcast. Well, I guess the first thing to say, Clive, considering how busy the circuit is and how busy snooker is in general, it's been a quiet summer, hasn't it? Well, I guess there's not much point in putting on a snooker tournaments in opposition to the Olympics and uh, the Euros and so forth. So... Uh, what few tournaments uh, there have been during the summer have been a bit of a false start, really, but now we're going to get right into it. Yeah, I mean, it's always been the case years gone by that there would be some sort of snooker going on in the summer, so you'd have either, 30 years ago, you'd have sort of imitation events with the top players, or later on you'd have qualifying, literally, all summer long at the Norbrecht. And, of course, we did have tournaments. It was just sort of gaps meant that there was no, I guess, great narrative. But anyway, we've started up uh, properly now. Paul Under Classic uh, was upgraded to full-ranking status, and Mark Selby, well, I guess, I mean, you know, he's world champion, he's won all sorts of other tournaments, but I guess one of his strengths is he will have treated the Portland Classic as if it was the world championship. He treats every tournament exactly the same. Well, he's fascinated by snooker. He just wants to play it as, as best he can. He wants to win every match he, he, he plays. He's very competitive and uh, he, he gave of his best. Mm. And in the final bit, Tom Ford, who uh, I guess um, he, he would have grown up with in Leicester, similar age, and, and actually when, when the Ulfa Junior events were on, when they were, they were kids, Tom Ford did very well in them, but for whatever reason hasn't quite reached the heights that Selby has. But I guess he's demonstrated in this new era with so many tournaments, it's possible for pretty much anyone to come through if they have a good week and, and do well for themselves. Yes, it, it's uh, certainly possible to have a good week or a good couple of weeks. The the difference arises, though, in the ability to sustain that kind of uh, that kind of form. Uh, you've got to be dedicated 365 days a year, not uh, for a month here or there. Mm. And also, it's not just about getting through to the final. The final then is obviously the final test, and we've seen a lot of players. I mean, that, this was only a best of seven, in fairness, but we've seen a lot of players do well in a tournament, get to the final, and they can't quite w- win it because it's such a big deal, I guess. Yeah, it, it, gets, it gets to the back of your mind that it's not just a match like any other, it's the final, something special, uh, a title hanging on it, possibly other things hanging on it as well, like um, an invitation to the champion of champions, all the ranking points, all, this all gets, gets mm. can get in the way of performance. Mm. The big story really at the tournament was Chaira Nu made a one four seven, which um, would be big enough news anyway. But of course, last season he twice missed the last black on one forty, once in the UK Championship on television, and once in the final qualifying round of the World Championship. And uh, I guess it, it, it must have been on his mind as he's going around making the break. It was certainly on everyone else's mind. But I mean, I've seen the break on YouTube. It's a, it's really good, and I, I think it underlines just how talented talented he is. Well. The, the, 
the 147 uh, after the two near misses got all the headlines, but the fact is he's reached three world ranking semi-finals in fairly quick succession. Uh, he, 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 in my view, he's a very good player. He's got a natural elegance to his game. And uh, after a few years on the circuit when he found it difficult to break through, which it, it is for, for anyone who's playing a, a long way from home for most tournaments, um, he, he's, he's got into it now and uh, I think we've yet to see the best of him. Mm. You hear him, some people have compared him to Tony Drago. I'm not sure he's quite that erratic. I mean, Tony at his best was brilliant and at his worst wasn't. Um, but he, he does have that same very fast, fluent style, doesn't he? Yes, uh, uh, it, n- not not as not as quick as Dr- as Drago, but you y- you get nothing for rushing, as the the, mm. the great old coach um, Frank Callan used to say. But he, he he's got a natural elegance, a natural fluency, good good to watch, and uh, he's getting the results. And he's one for seven. It was worth forty grand, which was more than double the the first prize because of course it was the the rolling system, and now it's been upgraded to four rugby status. Percentage wise. It's got to be one of the most lucrative maximum breaks ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the the, 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 system, the the various systems do throw up anomalies from time to time, but I don't think anybody will begrudge him after his two near misses. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think everyone was like feeling for him as he was on the final black. But if you watch it on YouTube, you'll see he doesn't, he doesn't sort of make a meal of it. He just gets down and pots it. And anyway, he's hopefully now put to bed all the talk about the, the two missed blacks. Um, while all this was happening, the Olympics were on and there wasn't a lot of uh, actual snooker going on. It was sort of sneaked out a little bit by World Snooker that Ding Junhui was going to be in the Champion of Champions because he'd been runner-up in the World Championship, which raised a few eyebrows because this this was news to everybody. It wasn't sort of part of the original criteria. And, of course, what's happened since? He's won two tournaments, so he's going to be in it anyway. But it, I think a few people felt a little uncomfortable about the way this happened. Well, it's never a good idea to change the... Uh, the qualification criteria after the process has started because it always smacks of uh, trying to pre trying to engineer a predetermined outcome uh, or favoritism to a particular player i mean obviously the reason was uh, china's huge television audiences they they get all the tournaments and um, it it's highly desirable commercially um for uh, China's top player uh, to to be in every every event, uh, so I, I can understand it commercially. Um, it, it it didn't go down terribly well, uh, quite quite widely really, um, in in terms of of how it was done. But I think what what has happened, albeit by a circuitous route, is that we <laughs> we have ended up yeah. with the right outcome because, as you say, Ding has won the, the World Six Reds which was a qualifying tournament, and the Shanghai Masters. If they'd have just waited a few weeks, it wouldn't have been an issue. I, get, I mean, I suppose, you know, it, it, we live in a commercial world. We know that sport relies on, on, on money, and it could be that the Chinese TV money this year will mean that there's a higher price for next year, so that, that can happen. But I suppose what people didn't like was that the, the criteria was changed. If they had said at the start of the year, we will reserve one wild card, we will pick a player who we think deserves to go in, who hasn't won a tournament, then at least people, they might not agree with it, but at least they know at the start of the season that's the criteria. But this was sort of sneaked out on a sort of Thursday afternoon in August. Yes, uh, uh, not, not, not good. And my sympathies were lying with um, Robin Hull, mm. the, the one-frame shootout champion, and Mark Davis, the World Seniors champion, because on the original criteria, and they're both in the tournament, and suddenly they found that they, that they, might, they might not be. Mm. 
Well, anyway, Ding went to Thailand and he won the Six Reds uh, World Championship, um, which obviously is not the traditional snooker, but he still he still won that beat Stuart Bingham in the final. That was forty five thousand uh, in his back pocket. So I suppose going to Shanghai, he had some sort of confidence having just won a trophy, because of course the last couple of years haven't been particularly great for him since that season when he won the, the five ranking titles. And then in Shanghai, well, he, he should have lost in the first round. He should have lost to Scott Donaldson, who, who had uh, black off its spot, needed a couple more reds to beat him, didn't beat him. And uh, he sort of got second wind after that. And, and at the end, um, after he beat Selby in the final, you could see what it meant to him. He was in floods of tears. It really means a lot to him to do well in his home country. Well, he's been two and a half years without winning a ranking title. Uh, his fans in China, which are numbered not in millions, but in the tens of millions, they, they, they can't understand why he doesn't win every tournament. <laughs> and, and if only it was that easy. <laughs> and uh, so, so it, it's just uh, it, it, it's just very difficult for him to live up to their expectations. And of course, his own expectations, because he, he knows how good he is. And um, actually nailing down the title was a, a, a big relief for him. Mm. But it underlines his continuing importance because he won. He broke through the week he turned 18, won the China Open in Beijing in 2005. And that sparked this huge boom. And he's had to carry that. And there, there are quite a few other Chinese players on the circuit. But with the possible exception of Liang Wenbo, they're not tournament winners, are they? They're, they're, they're making up the numbers and they're, they're rising up the ranks all the time. But there isn't another superstar yet from China. So he's still more than a decade on having to carry all that himself. That's right. That's right. And we should also mention the winner of the World Under-21 Championship, uh, Zhu Xi, uh, 18-year-old uh, uh, Chinese. There, there, there have been five Chinese winners of that title um, in, 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 the, in the recent past. Um, but, they've got, but they've actually got to make the breakthrough, haven't they? And so once they get on the tour, that's, that's an achievement in itself. But then it's getting up into the top 16 winning tournaments. So far, only Ding has managed to do that. That's right. And it's highly desirable that uh, one or two do get... Uh, in the top eight, the top eight, let's say. Uh, Barry Hearn actually is in the um, midst of negotiating what he hopes will be one of his biggest ever deals for the... And he's uh, made a few. <laughs> for, for, for snooker's um, uh, digital rights in China, uh, which, which, which he, he's hoping will be a, a mega deal. And um, uh, knowing his record, I would, I would back him to pull it off. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Chinese interest in snooker doesn't seem to be abating. Actually, quite the opposite. We've got this new event, which we'll talk about in, in due course, the China Championship. But, as I say, it is all built on Ding. This is why you can understand why they would want him in every tournament. We talk about the champion champions. He is still... Well, he's a megastar, isn't he? And that must put a lot of pressure on him. I guess that's why he was so emotional, because, uh, you know, it, there's enough pressure playing the game as it is without sort of carrying the burdens of a, well, the biggest nation on the planet. Yeah, one of his quotes um, after one of his matches... He said, "He said I wasn't afraid of losing. That, mm. that, 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 that's that's very good to know from mm. from his from 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 his point of view because you, you can sometimes feel under so much pressure that you feel you, if you lose, you let everybody down. It, mm. it, it, it gets entirely out of proportion." That sounds like it could be a bit of Terry Griffith's wisdom there because he's been working with Masney, and uh, that sounds like the sort of thing he would maybe impart. Yes. Yes. Okay, well, but one thing about Shanghai, I mean, I thought it was a terrific tournament, Shanghai. It always comes across as really classy, obviously. It's one of the world's great cities, and they put on a good show. But, of course, it's got the this old format, the, the old tiered qualifying format, like the World Championship has, rather than the flat draws. And the, the, the benefit of that is, A, you get the top 16 at the venue, and B, the qualifiers must have played well. They must be informed, because it's only like a couple of weeks before 
the main event. So you've got good qualifiers going there. Um, now, of course, we've moved away from this format um, and most tournaments. It's the flat draw and everyone has to come in the first round. But I think Shanghai demonstrated the virtue of the old format. Yeah, I think it's fair enough if you can get all 128 players in, in, the, in the one venue, you know, like Wimbledon, fair enough. But uh, I think the, the, the qualifying system now, everybody having to play a couple of rounds, well, certainly one, sometimes two rounds in England before they go overseas, I don't think that is right. I think it's in the game's better interests if you have 16 players, the top 16 that you're sure to have in in China, in China, let's say, and then you and then you have a qualifying competition for everybody else. Mm. Yeah, um, it's a thorny one, isn't it? Because the, part of the reason for the flat draw is that is the money list and the fact to work that as well. But you know, you can't, you shouldn't. One thing I would say is you shouldn't take snooker fans' interest for granted. And let's be honest. People have their favourites, and we know who they are. They're the top players. And we've got this new event in Romania this week. And, it, you know, we've had a couple of shocks in the, in the qualifiers, not too many. But say Ronnie O'Sullivan had got knocked out in Preston, that could have stopped potentially hundreds, hundreds of people buying a ticket to go to this new tournament. So that cannot be in the game's interest. No, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that you, you've got a major on your best players. Mm. The only thing is, though, that the, the, the old qualifier, it is a bit labyrinthine, isn't it? You know, there were four rounds just to get to Shanghai, and I suppose that's because of the number of people on the tour. But if, if maybe if there could be a way of, of shortening the qualifying system and also putting your star names where they should be in, in the sort of shop window, then that's the way forward. Barry, though, seems wedded to the flat draw, doesn't he? He seems that's his thing. Well, he does. He does. Uh, and, and going back to the the qualifying competition, I can't for the life of me see why you you, you don't have your sixteen your top sixteen exempted until the the final venue, but everybody else starts at round one of qualifying, like uh, they do in the world in the world championship. Mm. Uh, I think having a series a system of exemptions where whereby players are exempted for either one, two, or even three rounds. Uh, I think that's uh, very, very cumbersome and unnecessary mm. and, and quite difficult to, to understand for the layman. Yeah. The, the, the final sort of word on this, I guess, is some people... The argument against the old system is that it's protection for the top players. But, of course, they've all started at the bottom. They all started. Roddy O'Sullivan didn't start his career in the top 16. He had to win, like, ten matches at the Norbrecht to, to qualify for tournaments. They work their way up, and what they're not protected. They're rewarded. They're rewarded for their achievements and and for actually for what they've done for the game, for for getting people in, particularly Ronnie O'Sullivan, who we'll move on to because, because he, um, well, again, he could have lost first round uh, to Liang Wenbo in Shanghai. He, he sort of scraped through that one. Liang kind of fell apart, but then he went out next round to Michael Holt, who played very well. But you could tell. I know Ronnie's been playing exhibitions, but in terms of match play, competitive play, he did look rusty. What you don't get in exhibitions is that feeling you get you get a tricky a tricky shot and you know that the frame or even the match is hanging on it and you can't reproduce that feeling. There's nothing. You know, Twenty exhibitions is, is is no substitute for being match hard. With with the exhibitions, it keeps you it keeps you your game flowing to a certain extent. You make breaks and so forth. But there's more to the game than making breaks. You've got to be prepared to graft and that never happens in exhibitions mm. so uh, I think Ronnie was a bit a bit underdone yeah. for Shanghai but it was interesting that how much he I mean obviously he's obviously gone there looking for match practice and, and, and to try and sort of toughen himself up for the, for the season to come and it was interesting 
how frustrated he got that, that he wasn't he wasn't producing it. You know, at one stage he wrapped his cue on 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 the on the table rail and was really trying. I mean, he really tried against Liang Wenbo when when his game wasn't great. He's obviously making a concerted effort this season to 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 really sort of push on because last season he only played in six events, although he did win two of them. In fairness, the Masters and the Welsh Open. But I think he's seen probably the, the new British events as, uh, as a reason to kind of get going again. And, and as he says, if he's going to compete with the top players, he's got to play. Yes, uh, and we're all very pleased to see him. Uh, I never quite followed his reasoning uh, for, well, certainly not last season, for missing so many so many events. You, 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 you've got to keep playing. You can't just you, you keep competing, rather. You can't just sort of pick it up when you feel like it. Mm. But I guess it's an issue for him, and, and well, it's an issue for all the players. Is we're now we said you know there'd been sort of a full start to the season, but we're now kind of underway properly, and it's basically sort of full, full pedal until the end of the World Championship, pretty much, just snooker pretty much every week. And I guess it's it's okay. You you have the option to pick and choose, but but what do you what do you actually sort of duck out of, and how do you how do you manage your schedule? Because you can you have to enter tournaments in a certain few weeks in advance, and. Say you, you don't enter a few, and then you do badly in the ones you have entered. You, you then wish you were in the, the other ones. So it's a risk. <laughs> it's a risk not to enter tournaments. Well, I think I think a lot of players have um, different ways of approaching this. Mark Allen, for instance, he he's a player who likes to give himself the summer off just about. Mm. But I, I I can't really follow that because surely, if you if you play in one of the summer tournaments, you, you, then you can have three or four weeks rest or just light practice. Um, I, I don't think it, I don't think it's good to delay the start of the season. Mm. And also, in recent times, the players take out Ronnie when he won the World Championship, taking the year off. But the players who've come good at the Crucible have been the ones who played the most. You know, Barry Hawkins, the year he got to the final, he, I think someone worked out he played more matches than anybody. Mark Selby plays in just about everything. Stuart Bingham, of course, plays in everything. So the the, the evidence suggests that the more you, the more you play, by the end of the season, actually, the better you're going to do. Well, it's a case of of being really match hard. Mm. Uh, of course, it, it's not it's not great if you've played in a lot of tournaments and you've built up a, a, a losing streak because then you go to the next tournament with with, with no confidence. But uh, I, I think you know, in a reasonably sort of fair distribution of um, success over the, over the season, you've got to play in more or less everything. And of course, it's very difficult. To turn down the money, the, mm. the new tournament in China, for instance, isn't ranking this year. But with with, with money like that, it's difficult to sort of say, "Oh no, I won't play in that." Yeah, well, let's talk about that. So this is sort of a new event that that has uh, well, I'm, I'm not saying fallen out of the air. It's obviously taken a lot of organising and discussions, but it's just been announced the China Championship, as you say, invitation event this year, ranking event from next year, two hundred thousand to the winner. So that's on a par with the Masters. And the the guarantee for the first round losers is fifteen thousand pounds, which I think is more than the World Championship. So, I mean, as you say, why would you turn that down? <laughs> Don't think we would put it that way. Well, uh, you know, can you can you ever have too much money? Mm. <laughs> but also, there's not it's not a ranking event this year, so there's not that pressure. You, you actually you are literally just going out there. It's a high class event. It's like a sort of Chinese version of the Masters and the tournament. Because it's for the elite, you know, you would want to be in it. It's like it's like being in the Masters. It's proof that you are one of the best players in the world. Yes, can't can't, can't argue with that. But the the downside, I guess, is that it's going to be probably the most stressful season ever mm. for, for 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 the for the players because they're going to be playing so many matches that you know one of 
the a few of them you know, maybe will be played out, mm. e- e- exhausted. It, it, it's something only they can they can judge. Yeah, because it's not just playing; it's travelling. If it's not, if every if every tournament was played in the same room, it'd be different. But they've got to fly all, all around the world, and it sounds really glamorous, but it isn't at all. It's a lot of time hanging around in airports. Then when you get to the other end, you've got to get to the hotel, and it's getting over the time difference, the jet lag. And I know people listening will say, well, so what? We've got to get up at five in the morning and go out and work, and that's fine. But it's just letting people know that it's not its not necessarily a glamorous lifestyle. It, it is work at the end of the day. That's why most players never go sightseeing, because they're there to work. That's right. And with the new China tournament, which is back-to-back with um, the, the China's International Championship, you think, oh, well, they're both in China. That's, yeah. that, 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 that's fine, that's convenient. But, but it isn't, because for the distance between yeah. the two venues is equivalent to London to Moscow. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but what, one thing that interests me, though, is about this new event is, when I heard about it, I thought, this is great, a new, a new invitation event, because we've got a lot of ranking tournaments, which is great, but this is like a new high-class invitation event, which actually marks it out from the other tournaments. But then next year... It's going to be a ranked tournament. Actually, the first price comes down because there's more players in it. Do you think it m- might be a case, there might be an argument to say, actually, we should have more invitation events rather than everything's a ranking tournament? The, the big advantage of uh, having ranking status is that, it, is that it, it, it adds layers of significance in terms of how it affects the players' world ranking, mm-hmm. that, 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 that kind of thing, and it, it, and it affects whether they get into another tournament like the Masters or, or whatever. So unless there's a very good reason, uh, I, I like to see you know, ranking for everything. Okay. New event in Romania this week. Um, and again, you know, you go back even 10 years, certainly 20 Someone said, "Oh, we're going to have a, a ranking tournament in Romania." You would, well, you'd think one of two things: either no, you won't, or two, the, you know, the WPBSA have found because you know, when they went to Doville that time, it was just the wrong place. They found <laughs> they found the wrong place, but of course they're going there because the interest is huge. Ronnie and Stuart Bingham did an exhibition; they had nearly two thousand people in, and obviously in on Eurosport in Romania, the figures are great, and it just shows the way the game has, the interest in the game has spread. Yeah, and you you've got to take advantage uh, of the time when snooker is relatively new to mm. a country because that's when the the interest is at its most intense mm. uh, i've seen it even in britain the first two or three times uh, that they took a tournament to plymouth the crowds were huge yeah. but then when they got used to it they, they tapered off a bit mm. Mm. Uh, but also so that's a new territory but but actually it's kind of going back a little bit as well with the with the new home events English Open, Scottish Open, Northern Ireland Open, joining the Welsh Open, so it's the Home Nation series. And I guess it, it's a reminder that the game is still popular in the UK. Well, yes. You, you wouldn't think so from the lack of newspaper coverage, yeah. would you? Well. <laughs> but but it, it, it is popular and would be more popular still if economic circumstances were more in favour of more snooker clubs. Mm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, Scotland um, has always been a hotbed, obviously. They produce so many world champions. They've not had a tournament for a while there, so it'd be interesting to see to what extent people come. But I guess this is actually this is in favour of the flat draw. You see 128 players, so you see everyone on the tour who, who, who enters it. And I guess that's good in a way, because uh, you get to see maybe a few up-and-coming players, players you, you, you wouldn't necessarily recognise, but also you have the security there of the star names as well. Yeah, I, I, I like the the one two eight draws. If you can get everybody in the same in the same venue, mm. so the, the season starts here. Although it actually started in June, um, and it's going to be as we said the, the the busiest ever. And and I suppose the the thing about that is it's it's sort of 
it's hard in a way to to have narratives unless say Mark Selby won like seven tournaments, which there are enough for him he could do that. It, it, you just get the feeling it's all going to be shared around again, don't you? The, the titles. Well, the, the standard is so good, and the, and the, the the top, well, ten or more are so close together in ability that that, that it, it's not going to happen that everybody's that, that there's going to be someone who's going to win every tournament. I don't think the I don't think the million pound um, hmm. uh, snowball for the for a player who wins the the four home nations um, tournaments I, I don't think that will be paid out although of course it could get quite interesting if somebody wins the first two certainly could and well this, you mentioned that that's the bonus for winning the four but the prize men on offer and the amount of tournaments now it's conceivable isn't it if not this season maybe next someone could win a million pounds in prize money oh quite conceivable mm. quite conceivable uh, and uh, we we may have the odd niggle about uh, sort of organisational matters you know like uh, um, the, the late announcement that the Ding was going to be in the Champion of Champions, but commercially, Barry Hearn is absolutely impossible to fold. Mm. He, 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 he would agree with that. <laughs> 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 okay, well, I think we'll, we'll leave it there, but uh, this is the start of our new series of podcasts, so I hope you can join us throughout what is set to be Snooker's busiest ever season. Thank you, Clive. Sports Social Podcast Network.